Do you have a thing for luxury products, that Belgian chocolate or French champagne? Maybe you're more taken by those ultra-plain but ultra-expensive English trench coats or you'd mortgage your house for that little bottle of stinky stuff, you know, the kind of perfume that Marilyn Monroe used to wear. What is that about? And when it comes to overt branding on luxury goods, from handbags to jeans to T-shirts, how do you feel about being a walking ad for the manufacturer? It's the allure of madly expensive luxury goods that's the theme for our first episode of our new consumer series that we're going to bring you each Tuesday. It's called Talking Shop. I use the most expensive hair colour in the world because I'm worth it. Now repeat after me. Oils is oils. No, no. Oil, street oils. I hope you've got a healthy appetite. Yeah, right. I'd like a whole grain cereal, but nothing too heavy. Uh-huh. Or light. The slogan. Save those bodies. The that leaves hair feeling like hair. Matter of fact, I got it now. Sick of Rex. I'm Kirsten Drysdale, and this is Talking Shop, a new show about why we buy what we buy and how we can buy better. Over the next six weeks, I'll be unravelling the world of consumer psychology and marketing spin to arm you with the knowledge being used against you every day. Because whether your wallet falls open for fancy handbags or chocolate cake, there are more mysterious forces at play than you may realise. I've got an expert wingman with me to help us figure it all out, Dr Paul Harrison, Senior Lecturer in Consumer Behaviour at Deakin University. Welcome, Paul. Thank you very much, Kirsten. Happy to be your wingman. Great news. So we're going to kick the series off at the top end of town with a look at luxury goods. Now, Paul, I believe you've got a great little anecdote to get us into the zone. About five years ago, I was on a train travelling from Malpensa Airport in Italy into Milan. Oh, la da That's right. But I flew in on EasyJet, and I think it cost me about £35 each way, so not so, so not, much. Not so la di no, right? No, no. And I'm travelling through the outer suburbs of Milan, and a woman gets on the train and sits opposite me. And I have this moment of clarity where I really want to reach my camera, but probably shouldn't. (laughs) Right. And the reason? Well, she was a luxury logo peacock. Every item of clothing that I could see had the logo glaring back at me. There was a Louis Vuitton monogram jeans. Okay, okay. So Louis Vuitton monogram jeans, I've checked this out. They're about $1,000. A Gucci logo belt buckle. $380. A Coco Chanel logo T-shirt. $450. Not sure about the shoes. I reckon Prada pumps, $700. Okay, and the bag looked pretty expensive. Burberry expensive? Yeah. Because that's around $1,800. So let me get this straight. The total cost of this woman's outfit, assuming none of it was counterfeit and she w- it was all legit label stuff, was around $4,000. That is quite a lot. That is madness to me. It is. It's interesting, though. When I mentioned this to a friend of mine, a former student, uh, who is a bit of an Italian fashionista, she said, uh, well, we would call that kind of woman a cafone aracito. A what? A cafone aracito, which roughly translates as an enriched peasant. So the Italian version of a cashed-up bogan, if if we were being uncharitable. Mm -hmm. So we hit the streets. We went to the top end of town and a run-of-the-mill shopping centre to find out what people think about luxury. What does luxury mean to you? Indulgence, um, exclusivity, uh, good quality, 
Luxury, something extravagant, something to spoil yourself. To me, luxury. Ooh, that's a tricky, <laughs> a tricky question. It's going to be the upper choice. So not having to choose only budget. Elegance, sophistication, style. Uh, generally, it's made in Europe, and therefore there's a story behind every garment. And therefore, to me, luxury is when the garment is made in Europe. What's something you've splurged on recently? Planning on getting a new car. What sort of car are you looking at getting? Uh, to be honest, maybe an Audi. And what appeals to you about Audi as a brand? It's just different when you drive it, really. Because of the movie too, Transporter, I really like it. Just the different types of people that you see driving an Audi. You don't see many people like that driving diff- uh, different other cars, uh, especially like uh, Mercedes-Benz. That's another one. And Maserati in this area, you see them a lot. A really nice handbag. Oh. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask what brand it was? Chanel. And have you ever bought a sort of traditional luxury brand? Yes, Ralph Lauren Black Label is my favourite. Madison Avenue, New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Now, we heard quite a few people there talking about the high quality of luxury goods, but that can't really be the full story. I mean, that lady you saw on the train, Paul, she wasn't wearing gear that's 20 times better quality than what I can buy at Target. What else is going on here? Well, probably what we're hearing is that idea of consumers or these people rationalising what they've bought, because it is actually hard to justify to yourself going out and spending huge amounts of money, or for most people anyway. So what people are buying into is the idea of the brand, the Mm -hmm. idea of of the luxury item. And if you look at the way these things are promoted, it's rare that they actually promote the specific product. They promote the life that exists with this product, the aspiration right. that goes with that. Right. So that's why so many sort of Louis Vuitton ads feature really first-class train cabins going across, the, you know, beautiful scenery. That's right. Okay. And, and so what you're doing is that you're buying into this idea that if I own this little piece of this luxury brand, it will get me that life. You know, in our rational moments, we probably realise that it won't, but that's what the best kind of marketing and the best kind of psychology is. It's about giving people this hope. Mm -hmm. Marketing's all about hope. So we see that the story behind a brand is very important, and I actually thought it was quite interesting that one of the ladies we spoke to on the street who'd recently splurged on a Chanel handbag for herself, now she was quite conscious of that element of her purchase. Let's just hear from her now. Why do you like Chanel? I think because what it embodies in terms of, uh, yes, they do do a very good good job at marketing themselves as, uh, as high-end luxury. I think it's just all the elements um, in, in a particular piece and it is that element of exclusivity and, and also the emotion involved and it does have an impact to me in terms of how I feel. So it's all in the head, isn't it? <laughs> So that was recorded at a high-end shopping street. Yes, at a very fancy street lined with Maseratis and, uh, yes, all Mm. kinds of fancy cars. It it is interesting, though, the way that she does seem to be conscious of what she's buying into. Mm -hmm. And I think we have, as consumers, become a bit more conscious of, of marketing. The world itself is now a much more connected place. But that kind of emotional connection is still so important to the way we buy. Yeah. Now, I just actually want to play a little snippet from a Chanel advertisement so that we have a really clear idea of what she's talking about when she says they're very good at the marketing. Black, white, beige, gold, red. Black because it accentuates the essential and recalls the monastic rigour of the uniforms of the Aubergine Orphanage. Because for Gabrielle Chanel, it reveals a woman's radiance. 
Thanks to Chanel, black evolved from the garments of servants and those in mourning to become since 1926 the colour of elegance. White because it reminds Coco of the cornets of the nuns from her childhood and of the communion dress given to her by her father. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, no surprise there are certain other aspects of uh, Coco Chanel's life that were left out of that particular colour-coded biography. But that gives us a really a good idea of the way these brands create worlds that we aspire to belong to, right? Like, like they're not they're not saying look at our brilliantly crafted handbags. Uh, they're saying if I buy a pair of Chanel stud earrings, I'm a little bit closer to being a chic French woman. What about counterfeit luxury products? Because here's what that lady who bought the Chanel handbag had to say about that. Would you ever buy a counterfeit product? If it was good quality, yes. Yep. And that yes. wouldn't make you feel any differently about it? It would. It has. I've done that in the past and it's, it doesn't give you the same emotion and it just, it does. It plays on your mind. Those people who buy the counterfeit goods are more likely to be buying them because of that social function, that idea of communicating to others and seeking approval and fitting in with their group. So, so let's hear from a couple of the people that we spoke to who were quite happy to buy counterfeit goods and what they thought about that. Would you ever buy a counterfeit brand? <laughs> If I answer that, I might be fine next week. <laughs> if, it's, if it looks dodgy, then probably wouldn't get it. But if it looks okay, maybe. Okay. Uh, no, I prefer a real Target than a fake Louis Vuitton. <laughs> um, yeah, if it looked well made. Uh, I have to say, I bought my, my sister some stuff. You know they're not as good as the original, but, you know, for example, I bought my sister a Chanel handbag and it sort of emulates uh, luxury. I mean, luxury is that instant attraction to something that you can't have on a regular basis. To emulate that for someone for even a split second with a fake product, that's, that's good enough, you know. Did your sister know it was a fake Chanel bag? Yeah, I'm pretty sure she could, she could tell, you know, there's just some, some giveaways. So to find out more about this, I recently spoke to Grant McCracken, a doctor of anthropology best known for his work around culture and consumption. Now, what are people really paying for then when they, when they buy a $3,000 handbag? Right. I, I guess the, the conventional academic account of uh, that purchase of the $3,000 handbag is the one that came from... Thorstein Veblen, uh, sometime in the sort of early part of the 20th century, he insisted that this w w is best thought about as an act of conspicuous consumption, that we buy that handbag uh, to make a statement of our disposable income. And that may once have been true. Um, the weird thing about these handbags, and I've examined them with some care, is that they are exquisitely, as exquisitely detailed on the inside as they are on the outside, which is to say, they are for some that inside is invisible to the the general public and so there's some more personal relationship going on between the owner and the bag and my guess is that the personal connection is now more important than the public connection you know it used to be especially in that post world war 2 period of very conspicuous consumption and lots of disposable income and everybody engaged in or hoping for kind of upward mobility and you know goods luxury helped there to the extent that it sent a message that you were doing well that you were doing better that you were keeping up with the joneses that you were doing better than the joneses you know that's kind of the the constant 
motif of, of consumer society in the 1950s and 1960s. And I think, you know, that really, you know, nobody cares to do better than the Joneses. And certainly if you talk to millennials, you know, they're happy to find one another in a kind of middling ground, but and much less interested in this kind of uh, statement of their difference and their, and, and especially much less interested in a statement of their superiority, which is not to say, as, as you're pointing out, you know, that personal connection um, continues and, and people take that pleasure in owning something beautiful or something rich or sumptuous, that, that connection, I think, continues. And you think that's sort of starting to change, do you, that the, the taste for conspicuous consumption? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, there's a general shift in North America, and I'd be interested to hear it's true in the Australian case, but a kind of an artisanal movement which began really as a transformation of the way people thought about food, and it was a movement away from industrial uh, approaches to food, prepared food, fast food, towards a much uh, food that says, you know, it should be local, it should be fresh, it should be handmade, um, it should be made in small batches, it should be made by somebody you know. That was a big movement just in the world of food, but it's now sort of set the tone for consumer behavior generally. And, and that shift is a shift away from big brands to little brands, from brands that everybody has heard about to brands only you have heard about. So necessarily that takes you away from the big luxury brands to brands that are, are more personal, more local. So is it a bit like the, the Gucci bag of yesterday has become the local organic gourmet cafe of today? Exactly. And indeed, we're seeing the kind of the emergence of, as it were, local gourmet brands of, of every kind. So just recently, we saw somebody um, using Kickstarter funds and their own kind of backroom production place uh, create a, a kind of a luxury watch called the, I think it's called the Hudson Valley Watch Company or something. And it, you know, beautifully designed and, and well-crafted, actually not very expensive, so not tr luxury in, in that sense of the term. But you can see now that, you know, you've got local plays of every kind in the world of you know, not just food, but also watches and also clothing and, and so on. And, and, and that, the siren call of the local and the handcrafted is, I think now trumps, uh, if I may mix my metaphors, trumps the, the, the big luxury brands coming from Paris or London or Tokyo. This is Talking Shop with Kirsten Drysdale. I'm joined by Paul Harrison. Now, we just heard from Grant McCracken, an anthropologist who was talking about uh, attitudes towards luxury, the consumption of luxury goods. Now, I thought it was quite interesting what he was saying about a shift in, in Western culture. And, Paul, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that. I think that there is. There is that shift. But certainly when you go to the Southeast Asian countries, those luxury brands, those traditional luxury brands are still incredibly prominent. And he talks about the millennials. They're wearing that gear pretty, pretty out there, very peacocky. In the West, though? Well, yeah, I would say in the West as well. I think one of the issues is that there is a movement towards that kind of artisanal area. But luxury brands, those big, well-known, prominent brands in Europe even in Australia, in the big cities, are still there. What we might be seeing, though, is more fragmentation because that's what we're seeing across all products and brands is mm -hmm. that fragmentation. And so um, you have multiple 
luxury brands competing for a smaller and smaller market. And maybe that's what, what he's talking about, I think. Because I must say, I when he talked about the move to, towards artisanal products, mm. I realised that I am a sucker there. Because while I'm someone who would never in a million years uh, splurge on a $3,000 handbag, I did splurge semi-recently on a $200 handbag and it was one I bought at a museum gift store and I think there were a lot of the same principles at play there because I told myself I deserved it. I told myself it was really beautifully crafted. It was made of lovely soft leather. Um, You know, I imagined it being put together in some, you know, backyard workshop with lots of timber shavings around the place. You know, is that reflective of what he's talking about with the, the shift to artisan products. It's a, it's a beautiful story that you have just woven there, <laughs> Kirsten. And I think we all do it. I mean, I do it all the time as well. I construct a story around why I might spend more money than I probably should have. And I think that's one of the things that we're talking about. We're not really talking about luxury per se. We're talking about when we buy things that we really don't need, when we're spending a little bit more than we feel comfortable with. So we do have to construct a story. Then something else happened to me about six months after I bought that bag, which made me realise, again, that some of the same principles are at play. So now you were talking about people who buy these famous luxury brands because they want other people to recognise them and to sort of have that sense of acknowledgement and recognition. I was overseas and uh, in, in South America and an Australian couple happened to be sitting at the table near me and the woman noticed my bag, recognised the brand and said, oh, is that an elk handbag? You know, I didn't buy it because I thought elk was... I didn't. I hadn't heard of Elk before, and I and I didn't have any kind of knowledge of that brand or what it meant. But, but this it made you feel good. Yeah, I thought, yeah. oh, she's got taste like me. Yeah, and was she a nice person? She was wonderful. There you go. So there you go. You belong to that group of nice people who travel to South America and own those products and buy yeah and buy soft leather bags from uh, modern art g- museum gift shops. That's right. Oh, I'm just as bad as everybody. We're else. all just as bad as everybody else, yeah. and, and don't feel bad, Kirsten. <laughs> okay. Look, I. I think what's really interesting is the tribal nature of this kind of buying, whether it's luxury or whether you're buying something from the local bespoke um, manufacturer in, in the small suburbs. So much of our behaviour, our consumer behaviour, is built around wanting to belong and wanting to communicate to yourself that this is who I am. But also it's really important with that kind of identity thing to also be thinking about how do I communicate to the others the people outside of my group, that I don't belong to that group. And that can be, you know, whether you're buying a Chanel bag or whether you're buying, you know, the Elk bag or whatever. You're saying, this is the group that I belong to. I'm really happy within myself having bought this this product, whatever it is. And it's so important because what it does, it reinforces our decision-making. It reinforces to ourselves we're good at making choices. And when you, when you see somebody in South America and they've got the same bag and they're a lovely person and they're friendly, it instantly creates that social connection. And there's some really interesting research on reward processes in the brain. And even that little moment of recognition creates a memory, a synaptic memory, which means that in the future you will feel that same level of of good when you're near that brand, when you're around that brand. So in a way, it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. The reason you see the ads for Gucci or for Chanel and you have Nicole Kidman running downstairs in a beautiful dress, it's not to say, please go out right now and buy Chanel products. It's to say, this is what you're buying into. And if you buy Chanel already, you're a good decision maker. This is Talking Shop. We're talking about luxury brands and how we justify buying them to ourselves. 
Grant McCracken actually talks a little bit about that idea of buying a piece of something. He talks about these cultural ideals, you know, that we're buying a piece of a product, a, a brand, something that represents that brand, and it helps us to build a bridge between our actual lives and our ideal lives. And one of the, the things that's really interesting about Grant is that he also says, but in reality, we end up back at the normal life that we, we currently lead. So it's partly the story of a brand, but it's also partly the experience of buying these luxury goods, isn't it? Because um, as this lady will explain, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty flashy, it's a flashy experience to go into one of these stores. I like the experience of walking into that store in New York because you're treated as though you're walking into someone's home and, and you're always remembered by name and the, the whole experience is what makes it so unique and, and walking in and, and buying something from Ralph Lauren is, is memorable in itself. And to return to my Italian experience, if you walk down the Via Condotti in, in a very short couple of metres, 100 metres or so, there's Gucci, there's Louis Vuitton, there's Prada. Like that woman says, so much of the luxury experience is actually the atmosphere, the idea of it. And you walk past these beautifully marble buildings and a person opens the door for you, a person beautifully dressed in a suit. You just can't help but want to buy into that. The more that we invest in that, by even walking into the store, the psychology of it is that we've already made a commitment with the organisation, with the brand, that we like it. We have to kind of be consistent. And so she then goes in there, she spends thousands of dollars, and then we have to create some reason why we've spent that money and we say it's, it's the excitement, the atmosphere of being there. So, in summary... We are buying these crazy expensive things that we don't really need for a few reasons. One of them is hope and aspiration. We're buying into the whole idea of a brand, the whole story behind it. And another one is the experience, the retail experience. It's what makes us human. And I think we have to buy into these experiences because we wouldn't be able to get up out of bed in the morning otherwise. This has been Talking Shop. Join us next week when we'll be discussing how to buy happiness. And for some people, that might well be by buying a $3,000 handbag. Spoiler alert, for most of you, it's not. I'd like to thank my wingman, Dr Paul Harrison. Thank you very much, Kirsten. I'm Kirsten Drysdale. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Kirsten. Yes, back next Tuesday on Life Matters with episode two of Talking Shop, all about the marketing of happiness. Next week, Kirsten is, of course, also a reporter on The Checkout on ABC One on Wednesday nights, not to be missed. And uh, we'd love to hear from you about your relationship to luxury goods, luxury goods. Get on our Facebook page and uh, talk to us. I mean, do they matter to you? Do you seek them out? Is a counterfeit as good as the real thing? What about your kids? I mean, kids seem to have a very particular association to brand names, don't they? Talk to us on Facebook and our listener feedback line is 02 1430 1430.